When we consider healthcare leaders, we often assume that these are individuals who have worked for several years in their field and gained some recognition before stepping into influential roles. In today's episode, we're going to debunk that myth and show you how your leadership path can begin even before you yourself realize it. Welcome to Life Beyond Clinical Practice. Are you a health professional who feels stunted by the daily grind? Do you want more from your career, but are really not sure how to navigate a shift away from clinical practice? Do you want to make a bigger impact in your field and wish you had a mentor to guide you through this process? Hi, I'm Dr. Diane and I get you. As a clinician, I loved serving people, but my desire to grow and scale my professional impact pushed me to find a new path, one which taught me incredibly valuable lessons in successfully navigating career change. In this podcast, I will share resources as well as tried and tested strategies that will help you clarify the steps you need to take to move your career in the direction of your dreams. So put on that stethoscope, pull up a chair and let's chat. Today, I am delighted to introduce to you my very first guest on this podcast, Isaura Brito de Santos, who is the president of the Mozambique Optometry Association, as well as the head of department of the only optometry school in Mozambique at Universidad Lurio. Isaura, welcome and thank you so much for your time and for joining me on this podcast today. Thank you so much, Diane for the invitation and hello everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. Awesome, yeah, we're so happy that you made the time for us. And the reason I invited you to feature on my podcast is because I've been watching your journey in optometry leadership over the past few years and really admire the, shall I say, sacrifices you've made to step up to the leadership roles that you've taken on in optometry in your country. And with optometry being a relatively new profession in Mozambique, I think it was very bold of you to raise your hand and say, I'm going to be part of the change and advancing the cause of eye health and optometry in my country and in my region. So kudos to you for doing that as a young graduate optometrist. You only graduated, I think, in 2014. Is that correct? Yes, it is. And to look at now, not even... Nine years later, you hold two significant leadership portfolios, and I really want to compliment you on that. So maybe we'll start off by you sharing a little bit about how you got into optometry, and then what influenced your decision to then step up to these leadership roles. Yes. Um, first of all, I optometry was new when I when I joined, and as you said. Um, the core. I, I'm part of the third batch of optometrists uh, from uh, in Mozambique, and it was hard. We ha- at that time we would hardly hear about optometry, and when I was on eleventh standard, because we are in secondary school, we have until twelfth standard before we we go to the university. And when I was on eleventh standard, a teacher of mine 
just came and because one of her daughters was studying on at University Lurie and her daughter knew about all the health sciences uh, that were available. Uh-huh. So she was doing a kind of guidance and talking about the courses that are available in our province and all. From childhood, I always dreamt about doing medicine and I was always like determined to do it. And when I think about doing something, I usually do it with, I I put all my work in order to do it. But then years before I heard about optometry, I started thinking, looking at other women practicing medicine and some of them would like have to miss sometimes the birthdays of their child or their relatives in order to attend the, the, the professional task, which is something to really admire and really, and because it's a sacrifice for the, for the others, like you're leaving your family in order to uh, attend others. And I said, okay, I would like, I would like to attend others in a health system, but I also would like to have time in order to take care of my family in future when I have a family. And when I was looking through the courses that that were available at that time, the only one that would like really interest me was medicine. And then that lecturer, that teacher of mine, when she came one of the days and she gave the list of all the courses in the Faculty of Health Science, and she spoke about nutrition, pharmacy, medicine, dentistry, and she spoke about optometry. I was like, what is optometry about? And she explained how optometry is about the eye, eyes and all and things like that. But you can search more in, on Google and search for optometry in Mozambique. At that time, I went in the same day, I went to Google and I searched about optometry in Mozambique and I saw all the information. At that time, there were sponsors uh, uh, with the project here. It was a program. If I'm not wrong, that was a plan of a strategy of Vision 2020, if I'm not wrong. And and at that time, there was a combination of um, IC and Brian Holden Vision Institute. And there was also Dublin Institute of Technology in Ireland. And a combination of different stakeholders in order to implement it and, and, and bring human resources and on all the equipment in order to so that so that the training really occurs, and I saw pictures of outreaches, people attending other people, and like at that time there were no optometrists, Mozambican optometrists form, but there were the foreigners with students that were at second year and first year they were teaching, and they were bringing the impact of vision and the importance of vision. And when I read that, I was like, okay, this is great because I really want to do something that's going to be useful. Without vision, how would I study? Okay, it's possible to study, but I was looking at myself at that level. Like, okay, I came here, I'm I'm, I'm going every day out and all because I have my vision, I have this. So if they're saying that most of the cases are preventable, what can I do in order to help others? And I have a, a brother, my older brother is as well as a very high myope and he always wore very thick glasses and sometimes he would like have problems and could not find things because I I thought sometimes that, okay, no, he was, um, maybe he's, he can see, but then he wants some attention from my mother. Or other times I then started realizing that, no, he really cannot see when he's without glasses. And I was like, how, how can it be possible? And there were many things that I said, okay, let me try to understand this part and see how I can be useful. 
And then this was the time I really decided, okay, I'm not going to 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 write the exam to enter into medicine. I'm going to write the exam to enter to optometry. And it was like a shock because my father at that time was like, no, you should do medicine. I have never heard of optometry anymore. <laughs> and, and because I was really um, passionate about what I read and what I I realized I could do if I really uh, learn a lot from this. I decided, no, I really want to do it. And I started preparing the exams and I wrote the exam. I entered when I entered because it's a government university. So we write the exam before entering. And when I entered, I was the first, the number one, the, the first uh, selected optometrist wow. and uh, in, in my badge. And then when I started the course, um, I met all the the lecturers that we had at the time, there were some from Spain, um, Professor Carlos, Carlos Sanchez, some from Portugal, Portugal, Manuel Neto, and some from Colombia. For Portugal as well, there were Maria, teacher Maria. And from Colombia as well, there was Vivian Ocampos, who inspired me a lot, and Silvia Escobar, who was my mentor. And the going from a Portuguese type of teaching and learning to a type of teaching and learning with foreign, and this is my perspective, it was like a different experience because everyone had their experience from their own country. Wow. And it was like a full baggage with different perspectives and and different point of views. And in each of those countries, there are different practices about optometry. And they were also sharing with us, with us what they really needed for Mozambique and what are the what are, what is waiting for us in the professional point of view. So I graduated on 2014 and as part of the third batch of optometrists. And I was also the best student at that time. So I said, okay, I'm going to to the market and market how like public system of health, work market. And I'm going to do my best in the public system. And yeah, but then at that time, they were also, because the project had some rules, like the first years they would uh, form some of the first batches and then slowly the, the best students would be recruited to continue the course while they are under the mentorship, under the guidance of the foreign teachers. And so at that time, I got uh, the invitation to to submit documentations in order to, to be approved or to be as a candidate of, for lecturing, junior lecturer. It was under supervision. And then at, in that year, we were three who started. And when we... When we entered, I was like, before I entered, it was like, it was not what I dreamed about. I didn't dream about being a lecturer. And I was like, I think about do, creating impact. I want to see the eye problems. I would like to treat people. This is what I always dreamt about. Then I went back, I spoke to my parents and they were like, because both of them are lecturers as well. I, I spoke to them and they were, no, you should do it. No, it's good. And there's an opportunity of you teaching other people. If you impact very well, these people, they will also be a, a, a good um, example to others. See how you were inspired by your lectures. You can also inspire others. And I was like, okay, but I don't have any ability to teach. I don't think I'm, I'm ready for this. 
no, they will definitely teach you. You are still going to be a junior. You, you are not going to have like a class by yourself just from the beginning. There are process that you have to go through before you 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 have your class alone. And, and yeah, so I said, okay, I will just submit and let's see if I'm approved or not. I entered and then three of us were approved. And, and yeah, we started working. We had some trainings about uh, teaching strategies. At, at university level, some trainings from the Faculty of Health Science, the, the professors t- taught us some uh, strategies of teaching and learning process, things to, to be considered. And then we started uh, being assistants of our lecturers. We were their assistants at that time. Yes, from this, <laughs> I started uh, following and, and seeing instructions and slowly I started gaining the ability and before it was with supervision and then slowly I, I had one or two days without supervision and as the months years were passing I started developing and and I believe that at the end of that first year I was so passionate I was um, so in love with yeah. teaching that I said no I need to find a way to develop myself because I was always I always dreamt about pediatrics and all to develop myself in order to teach better uh, people so this is when I started searching for a fellowship into pediatrics because I wanted this clinical bag- baggage to in order to to better teach to better attend even patients uh, although I never stopped uh, seeing patients because at university we have a clinic university clinic so as aside of uh, teaching and and being on 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 scientific uh, area or outreaches and and research which I learned also there i also had time to see patients at the clinical level so i i felt that okay i'm never going to be go- never going to be uh, just stuck in one thing i have many things to do and i have different perspectives to develop myself and 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 to to work and help what an inspiring journey you've had. Um, and what I like about what you've said is that initially you didn't want to go into lecturing um, because you didn't see yourself there as a lecturer and you didn't feel qualified to do it, right? But with your parents' encouragement, you stepped into it. And I'm sure there's many people out there who feel the same way. Um, perhaps you're not sure whether a certain area of healthcare practice is for you, but you'll never know until you step into it. Like you said, after a year of being in this teaching environment, you suddenly fell in love with teaching and realized there's so much more to academia than just standing in front of a classroom. So I think those are such good insights to share with our audience. So, you know, you found your space and you were thriving in it as an academic and you had the different components of research and you were mentoring or being a role model for other students. What then spurred you on to step up to these leadership positions as the president of your association and then heading up the department? As I always loved what I I was doing, I started being always involved into outreaches and I was at that time when I joined in the Department of Outreaches. It was representing the optometry department, the, the outreach sector of optometry at that time. And I was exposed to all the 
the other communities that faculty of health science because it was a mixed department at the faculty of sciences level was had a representative of optometry pharmacy dentistry it was a multidisciplinary uh, environment and at that point we would discuss and plan things about research and outreaches and all and then most of the times they would just okay Sora, as you are um, in front as, as you are motivated and you are taking this please <laughs> you can take care of this please take care of this and we will plan it and what is your idea about this so i started um thinking about solutions that um the group would present at that point but then when i at a certain point i had to travel for my fellowship and when i came back for my fellowship we had almost no lecturer no uh, foreign lecturer in our country and most of them had gone and my previous colleague was uh, uh, about to to leave the position and at that time i got the invitation from my director and they said no sorry there was a colleague of mine nelva who is now in portugal doing her phd who was uh, one she, she, who was the um course director who was the provisory or temporary course director and at that time when she was the course director she invited me it was months after i came back to be her to support her as a deputy course director and i was there for a few months but then she got the scholarship for her phd when when and she gave my name as a suggestion of um of the head of department at that time when my director called me I didn't even know when my director called me saying that okay uh, never has to travel and are you ready for it I said no I'm not <laughs> <laughs> because I had no idea about leadership I was okay I would have I would be in front of few things but not in a dimension of a course and it was like the first reaction for my director was no I cannot handle this I don't think I will be able I think there are people that are more capable than I am if I don't really take it in a because we need to to take our course to another level if I don't do it and I was so worried about this and, and he just said we know you have never done this we have an, a, a, a team of seniors here you will have support from the others and don't worry if you have any doubts you before you proceed you just come and ask but we need and after we asked most uh, some of the students and lecturers after some questionnaires most of people indicated you to be the better person to continue this thing i was like no it's not <laughs> it's not possible because i have no experience right. and he said no if you don't take it um the core the optometry course may have a luck my god so now it's under under me <laughs> yeah i said okay from that from that point i started um being part being i started being introduced slowly as i was already the deputy uh, course director I, I was already introduced to some meetings and uh, some planning forums that and my perspective my perspective of things have already changed at that time but once I assumed the the, the 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 direction of the course and and my colleague was not there to to give me support and I had to ask for the seniors you know I I really started developing other competencies I learned a lot while doing and I always uh, asked for support 
there were times that I would see, I would look at challenges and I say, no, I don't think we are going to overcome. But then I was like, if I'm in front and I don't find solutions, who is going to find solutions? I need to, because my mentors have gone and the project has to continue. And the, the partners have already done what was supposed to be done in our country. They gave support, they the, the sponsored things and even trainings and all. Like, we need to continue this. If it dies, it's me who is there not and not not making it work. So I gave my best in order to develop myself, to gain uh, leadership cap- cap- capabilities and, and also to to understand the point of views because even to to be in front of a meeting although I was always active because when I was young when I was um secondary school I used to be in the association of students and university as well I, I was one of the members and one of the directory board of, of the student association so I was always involved into um social um small student okay. leadership things yes so um at that point, when I went to meetings and then I found like different opinions and then, okay, I need to find solutions. There are complaints, there are, um, there are things to be uh, improved and there are points to be solved. So what am I supposed to do? When, when I started finding solutions, okay, I need to hear first. I need to speak less. I need to, to see what is the possible thing I can do in order to solve the issues and not focus on the problem itself. Mm-hmm. Then I started moving and giving some steps because I was I started focusing not on the problems because we will always have problems, but in solutions. Okay, when we had lack of instruments, I thought, okay, let's see if I, we can do a memorandum in order to have partner who will provide some service and he, this partner can also help us with something that we need or supplier or, or suppliers or something like that. And yeah, even for some colleagues to go to continue studies and know how can we collaborate with other institutions in order to have um, scholarships and in order to have trainings, in order to have uh, things updated in our level. What is done? What is being done in other other optometry schools? How usually? How really? Um, the other professionals are working. I had at the beginning because I, I, I always had this question about research, I, I, I had the guidance of Sylvia Scobar. And I started, even when I was in final year, when I was still an intern, making presentations in some um, national level uh, um, conferences. And then I, I registered myself to present in other conferences in India and in other countries. And I, I developed this area. So every time I would be in other forums out of, our university, where, while interacting with other professionals or other people from other areas or other countries, I would definitely, I, I started gaining more um, information, more uh, perspective, other perspectives of how things are, are going in those places, what they have gone through before achieving the level they have achieved because in other countries, optometry has hundreds something years and we are just a baby, <laughs> a baby in optometry. So how can we also achieve those levels and about the history of optometry in those countries? And then and, and it was possible to, to do something. I had also a very uh, good support of Casey Naidu, who was at the time working in Brian Holden Vision Institute. And he closely gave support, encouragement, uh, uh, aside of my mentor, who was uh, Sylvia Scopa, who was one of the teachers there. And aside of that, I have... a support of my colleagues as well 
the other lectures because we were all together uh, and aligned with the next step that we would uh, that were needed and and also from the all the direction of a faculty of health sciences team so it was more about not closing myself and looking getting stuck at the problems but um, being open to ask for help ask for support and focus on solutions than in problems with the ears it started being something that would be more easier to deal with than at the beginning i love it because you know initially your reservation about you know taking on this responsibility and i think a, a combination of timing the time was right when you had come back from india from your fellowship uh, the opportunity presented but also your willingness despite your reservations and your sort of fear of failure of stepping up to the challenge and say well you know if it's to be it's up to me if i don't step up to this there's a risk that the optometry training program in my country can just fall apart and and as a young optometrist that's a big it's a big responsibility to take on but but you looked up to it and more I mean, now you're a fellow of the American Academy of Optometry. You've appeared on national television multiple times in Mozambique, talking about eye health, educating the population about issues around optometry and, and vision. And in your relatively short career, those are some major milestones which I'd, I'd like to take this opportunity to commend you on. And leadership does demand bravery and sacrifice to a large extent. So maybe let's talk a little bit about that. On a personal level, what do you think you have to sacrifice in order to shoulder the responsibility of advancing optometry training um, and practice in your country? Yes. For about the optometry, when I came back as well, months after I was, I had the, the suggestion of assuming the university the head of, of of optometry department we had a meeting we realized that okay we need an optometry association in order to uh, set up rules and and organize or put everyone everyone together in order to to direct the class of optometry and we had a meeting at that time and at the university because we did most of the optometrists at that time were still at university, some lecturing, and others were in the hospitals close to, to the university province. At that time, um, we had the meeting, and one of the names that came up for presidents of the optometry uh, uh, association was mine. So, um, but we did not have the association yet. So it was like a team who would be in front in order to legalize it. And after that, in order to have all the documents, in order to just for the first steps of optometry. And after votation and all, um, my name was there. And at that time, I didn't know anything about the, that I would even be the course director. And we started working towards making the legalization, the legal documents of the association. That was a long process, took up two years plus. And until it got really registered and, and approved at the national level. During this time, this two-year period, after I was nominated, months after I was nominated as, as the head of this process, legalization process and the president of the association, 
upcoming association. I then assumed the, 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 the direction of the course, optometric course. And then I had double rules. Wow. And when I was talking to partners in a university level, I was also looking for ways to help the association. Right. And, <laughs> and it was a double thing. And I was most of the time introducing to those partners our intention to create, a, to, to establish an association and how could we really um, improve things. And some of them was Casey Naidu, who also told us about the AFCO, the African uh, Council of Optometry, and introduced and they gave us some some details of, of how how some processes went in other countries were also going through the same. And we started focusing on developing things and registering our association. Brian Holden Vision Institute at that time, the, the, the office on, on, on South Africa was the one who sponsored the publication of our status statutes of the association. Because at that time, when after all we we made the contribution for all the document documentations and all, but then we could not publish in the for officially as to us officially assume the association we had we need to have a budget which we did not have to public to public um to officially have it in our legislation or in our country's official yeah like an official a national entity and at that time you approached Brian Holden Vision Institute and they sponsored this was the way we got the Optometry Association registered after that. Um, when I was in India, or before that, when I was in India, I heard about the, the American Optometry Association. I met in the Congress, the um, there was a World Congress of Optometry in India. I believe it was the second World Congress of Optometry in 2019, no, 17, 17. And at that time, I met Tom, and he was one of the representatives of the American Academy of Optometry there. And he spoke about the benefits and all. He was with a poster explaining um, what the the benefits are of being a member and what are the things that they request for each fellow and and what is the what can be done if I'm 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 close to those informations and that the academy usually uh, produces or, or or provides to the fellows. So at that time. Because I was usually in the conferences doing some presenting some research or some small studies that I would, would do, I met him. And then after some months or years, I okay, I decided while I was already in front of the optometry association and also in front of the course coordination, I said, okay, maybe it's the time to move forward in order to have contact with the um, profile of the American. Academy of Optometrists, I believe it will help with the background here because we need to make optometry um, recognized. Mm -hmm. um, a step was done before with our partners, before they left our country. But then at the field level, sometimes the, the, the work is not as easy as it is or it was supposed to be. Yeah. So I said, okay, let me approach uh, um, um, instances that I believe that have a well-structured um, um, optometry uh, set and okay I will do everything in order to become a fellow and learn from them this is how I started writing the exam doing all the things it was almost uh, almost a year process and then finally in 2019 I I made the presential exam in Orlando in Florida 
and I I really got accepted. I couldn't even believe because I always felt um I always felt um maybe not not as not so good because I'm in Mozambique we speak Portuguese and then when you are in English uh, forum you think that no you will not understand very well you will not be able to to do the things on time and maybe if it was in Portuguese it would be easy but then very early I realized that in Portuguese I would have limited um sources I would have limited um ways of partnerships and so I I really had to develop my English and when I wrote the exam minutes later they say that I was approved and it was like oh my god so I could do it I could make it so yes let me see how I can yeah definitely bring it and and make a difference and this is how I got into the American Academy and yes and I have been learning wow so and also sharing what I have learned with others at my department with my students and the community level as well because all these conferences that I usually go for, I I definitely learn. I learn a lot. That's so important as a leader, you know, imparting to others and developing others. As you grow, you grow others. And that's one of my personal philosophies. And I guess why this podcast also exists. You spoke quite a bit about mentorship and how how that helped you in your growth journey. Can you... Can you highlight for our listeners today, what do you believe is the importance of mentorship on your professional growth? You know, when you're on, on a course of career development. It's a light into the darkness, if I would define it like um in a picture way. Because if you have a good mentor, you will also maybe have, uh, have a good motivation and you will develop yourself in order to achieve what he or she is doing but if you have a mentor who is not um who is stable or satisfied with the position who is not um willing to learn more and running behind uh, developing him or herself you get also stuck and you see things in this way as if everything is just static and and things can just stop in that level for me it was um I was introduced to Sylvia Scobar. She was my lecturer. She was, she was my teacher during a university, but um, she was as well my supervisor, my final course supervisor. And we learned a lot. She was very hardworking. I, I would say that, yes, yeah, sometimes I would just complain, oh, I'm working too much. You, you, you want so much for me and I don't have time. It's not easy. But she was a kind of perfectionist that at the end of all, I was like, okay, if I had not gone through all these hard things that at that time I would consider very hard, I would not have achieved what people are saying now that this work has become. Because when I started presenting that my final year project to people, they would uh, just be um, very fascinated about it and this is when I realized okay if following her instructions I came to this level okay let me see what else have she done so she was always involved into research and um, if there were conferences and doing things like that I started following and she was the one who at the first time told me to register myself for the Faculty of Health Science uh, Journal Science Journal Club, 
And I presented that the first time there. And she was like, no, next time it will do better. And all mm-hmm. the things. So, and even when you had national, regional uh, um, conferences and the national health conferences from the Ministry of Health, I presented also uh, immediately after I finished uh, university, I presented with her support. She guided me in terms of of the t- presentation type, the content, the uh, the appearance, and the, the speaking. Um, there were many things that I I really learned, and I started looking at her as as something someone to really um to be a mirror. Right. Yeah. To be a role model. And I think that's so good the way you've summarized that. So a good mentor is a good role model, or should be a good role model, right? They should yes. love what they speak. Um, and they should challenge you and stretch you to grow. So you have to be uncomfortable in order to grow, right? Like exactly. If, you become, if you're just comfortable, you become stagnant and chances are you're not going to advance. But a good mentor really stretches you, gets you to think out of the box, go beyond yeah. boundaries, challenge yourself, do things you haven't done before. And that then helps you to grow and tell your career. So you've shared such incredible insights with us today, Zara, and I'd really like to commend you on the impact you've made in your profession, in your country, and for IP generally. I know you have a passion for research and community eye health and community development, and I can still hear that passion in your voice. I know you'll continue to do great things in your career. So I'd like to wish you well as you continue to advance your own journey. I know you have you know, aspirations to do, your graduate degree to complete your PhD. And I have no doubt that you will when the time is right. For now, you fulfill the very critical leadership role in your profession in your country, and you've done an exceptional job doing that. So thank you so much for your time. Obrigado. <laughs> thank you so much, Diana. It was a pleasure. <laughs> The one Portuguese word I had to use today. <laughs> I forgot the other few I used when I was in Mozambique. But thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If so, would you take 30 seconds and share it with a friend who needs to be inspired to reach for more professionally? Also, I would love it if you would take just a few minutes to leave a five-star rating for the show on Apple Podcasts, as well as a quick written review to let us know how the show is helping you on your career journey. All right, that's it for now. Meet me back here on Monday for another episode of Life Beyond Clinical Practice. Goodbye.